Welcome to a peer review episode of the RxP podcast. For those of you new to the RxP podcast, peer review is our review series where we review video games, movies, and TV shows for your listening pleasure. Today's peer review is about the PlayStation 5 exclusive Returnal. I'm your host, Alex, and joining me is my ever-returning co-host, Matt. Well done. What's going on? And I say that because also I was looking at the episodes, and I think you've been on every episode of the podcast. Whether so. it's been the main series or the peer reviews. I know. You guys so can't get rid of me. Yeah, just you're just like Celine in this ever-returning loop of just appearing on every single episode. But we'll get into that. So would you say that when we stop recording the podcast, I die and then I wake up for the next week's podcast? And then it's the beginning of the podcast again, yeah. (laughs) All right. So before we get too deep into our thoughts on Returnal, uh, just some table setting here. One, this is a peer review. And so here's the obligatory spoiler warning. Uh, We will be diving into the story mechanics, unlocks, what have you of the game. And so in case you are not uh, too keen on listening to spoilers about what happens and kind of our opinions about the story, please click away now, come back later once you've gone through it, or maybe once you've decided to give up on playing the game because you think (laughs) it's too difficult and you, this, you know, talk between me and Matt here will be uh, here for your listening pleasure at a later date. Uh, and also, I guess to table set as well, Matt and I both have earned the platinum trophy uh, for this game. And so that means collecting all the trophies available, you know, completing all the challenges and earning that sweet platinum. So that's kind of the full extent. And to say the least, I think we've seen pretty much everything the game has had to offer for oh, the yeah. most part, probably some not some rooms, but uh, there you go. And so with that, I'd say let's get started. So Returnal's divided into three acts, you know, two main acts, and I guess it kind of third third act, not a lot of gameplay, but you mm-hmm. know, true ending. And I guess I want to approach this via its three act structure. So starting with act one, uh, moving through the first three, what they call biomes of the game. So these are the overgrown ruins, the crimson wastes, and the derelict citadel. Matt what were your thoughts on the kind of this first act of the game? Uh, from the very beginning, I was just completely engrossed with this world. Like, it was very mysterious. You, you know, you start off, for, you know, people, maybe you're listening to this because you know you're never going to get a PS5 and you, you have no, you don't care about spoilers. Um, you know, Returnal, you are this astronaut that gets stranded on this alien world. And one of the first things that happens is that you walk up on this corpse that is coming from the same astronaut company, I guess, like their equivalent to NASA. And you look at the name tag and it's you, like it, it's Celine. And so you're introduced without them telling you anything about the game. You're introduced to this time loop. Um, and it's just mysterious and it's scary. Um, I was very much on edge the entire time. But, you know, just my first thoughts of, like, walking through uh, the overgrown ruins, you know, it's that what you've seen in any of the trailers, like, it's it's the most seen biome, obviously, being the first one. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. The sound is everywhere. I was listening with headphones. I don't know if you had headphones on the entire time. But the 3D audio, everything, all the bells and whistles of the PS5 that they have talked about for the past year, on and on and on. We finally got a game that met all that. 3D audio is there. And more importantly, the DualSense. Ever since Astro Boy, like we, Astro Boy, dang it, I do this every time, Astro Bot. It, it's just a meme at this point, <laughs> but keep going. Ever since Astro Bot, there's really not been a big utility of the DualSense. But you're just standing there, and if you stand in uh, the rain, in biome one, which happens, you could just feel the pitter patter of the rain on your dual sense. And that to me is just so incredible. It, it just, it's one of those truly next gen experiences. So from the very beginning, I was completely drawn into biome one. 
Yeah. And really I, act I fun. completely agree with you. The Especially, I just want to start with the audio. So, yes, I did also play the whole game with headphones on uh, just to get that 3D audio experience. And something I'll get into later, uh, probably when we talk about Act 2, is that really the audio helped me the most get uh, enjoy the experience the most mm-hmm. out of anything, even more so than the controller. Only because, right, as you mentioned, kind of a lot of the sound effects from the game kind of, you know, uh, when your alt fire is ready, right, that kind of wind up, you know, Sonic's noise that kind of like mm-hmm. charges up and then hits that high pitch like wing. And then also uh, just the attacks from the enemies. But also, as you mentioned, just the noise of the environment and kind of being able to feel that in combination with literally feeling it on the dual sense. Mm-hmm. And just kind of having that, as you mentioned, the rain kind of dropping on Celine herself. And then also uh, when you take hits and then seeing it visually, but then feeling right like kind of jolt, I guess, of like the attacks hitting Celine. And then seeing right your HUD go get cracked and then the critical warning symbol right after low HP and everything. So everything, yeah, just really works together from the get-go. And I was really put off. From the planet, as you mentioned, is especially just Biome One, the Overgrown Ruins, was very disturbing, right? You had these mm-hmm. weird wolf tentacle monsters, yeah, that are like crawling around, like shooting stuff at you, and then you kind of meet uh, also what I think it's called the uh, Mega Myops or the like Mycoids, but the you know the plant guys, right? Yeah, that shoot like homing spores at you. And kind of hearing like the crunching of like their roots when they like spawn out of the ground mm-hmm. and the attacks and everything. Yeah, just everything kind of builds together in a very unique way where I'm like, oh, yeah, I can already hear that these things are going to try and kill me before right. I even see it. My question for you is like the rain is nice with the dual sense, but one aspect that I didn't know what I would feel about is uh the alternate fire with the dual sense. So like it has variable resistance with the left trigger. Basically, if you press it halfway, it's just your normal aim down the scope. And then if you like push past the resistance and the left trigger, it's really hard to explain. But once you push past that resistance, you have that chance for your alternate fire, which is like a rocket launcher, or, you know, some other iterative of that. At first I was like, I don't know if I'm really gonna like it towards the end. I was sold. I was like, more things need to do this because I didn't get tired or anything. I know some people had said like they got tired of it, uh, but I, I thought it was cool. You know, when you have a limited amount of num- buttons and knobs and everything on your controller, this is just a really cool way to to utilize the complete controller. Yeah, it it's like they added a third input on the triggers without needing to add another physical trigger. And I know... Yeah. This is something that some people were wondering when last generation for the PS4, uh, Sony released uh, the back button attachment for the DualShock 4. And it was like, oh, here we're literally, this plugs into the bottom of the controller and we're adding two additional back buttons that are programmable. So they could map to any of the existing buttons on the controller, but they weren't necessarily new buttons. But so it was kind of disappointing in that regard. It's not like the Xbox Elite controller where, you know, it has those four back paddle shifters. Mm -hmm. So it literally could add like four extra buns to your um, controller that way. But people thought, oh, is Sony releasing this attachment because the PS5 might have some sort of back buns to it, like on the controller. And so they were like, is this Sony kind of future proofing the DualShock 4 to be compatible with dual... um, I guess now dual sense games. Hmm. And so, you know, now we're here 2021, you know, past the release of the PS five and the dual sense. And we see, no, it wasn't the case that they had uh, back buns on the dual sense, but they are still doing these interesting ways of how can we make the game feel more engaging and make it feel, I guess, more natural without having to physically add more options, I guess, to give to the player. And so I really appreciate it. As you mentioned, I thought it was super intuitive uh, and I, I haven't played too many shooters on the console since then, but I feel like it might be something I might naturally start doing just in other games, even if it doesn't have that kind of half resistance, full resistance, uh, mechanic. 
So it's definitely something I'm uh, I'm interested in seeing it, how it influences my future gameplay. But at least, as you mentioned, I'm definitely wanting to see it uh, come back into the future. Um, but yeah, I guess moving on. So, you know, we talked about the Overgrown Ruins, kind of jungle setting. And you get to the first boss, Frike, that mm-hmm. hopefully many players know whether or not you've listened to this or played this game already or you've maybe heard other people talk about it. It seems like Frank is definitely the kind of guardian type of boss. So I guess to liken it to something like Bloodborne, which was a mm-hmm. PS4 exclusive, people talk about Father Gascoigne as being that kind of like, oh, if you can beat this boss, even though he's not the first boss in that game, then you can probably handle the rest of the game. And I feel like right, Frank being the first boss of this game is acts the same way. It's the skill testing boss. That if you beat it, you can you know, overcome the game as a whole, which people generally, you know, if you've heard the uh, conversation about it, think, it, you know, Returnal is a tough game. But Matt, yeah. like, what, what was your experience with Frank? And I guess all the bosses in Act 1, because we won't go too much into actual mechanics or anything, but just like yeah. your general feel of the bosses, boss fights. I think, and this kind of goes, I guess, for all three of them, I didn't necessarily think they were tough. I, I feel like the environments leading up to the bosses were much more excruciating for me because I, I feel like those enemies, uh, there's just random encounters that can happen that just completely derail. Uh, but the bosses are the same product every single time. You know what you're getting into. And honestly, they're a lot more fair than other parts of the game. Like Frike is difficult, but I played through and went through every door I could, fought every single person I could, leveled up as best as I could, and I didn't think that Frike was terrible. I think it built on to things that I was learning throughout Biome 1, you know, leading up to that boss battle. So um, I I didn't have a problem with him. I know a lot of people kind of have gotten stuck on him, uh, especially the subreddit, uh, but, um, you know, I think... Returnal does a good job of while there was like very minimal tutorials I feel like it taught you just by playing the game and and I feel like yes it's a very tough game but I feel like it's a very fair game because it, it ran at a pretty smooth 60 FPS there's some dips especially in the final boss battle for me uh, but pretty smooth upper you know to 60 FPS and the controls are just so instantaneous you press something, you know it's going to happen. And every time that I died in the game, I was like, all right, I deserved it. Um, but I, I thought that Frike, um, and then I can't remember the Ixion or Ixion. Yeah, like Ixion? Let me see. Yeah. yeah. Ixion is the second boss for the Crimson Wastes. I I had the hardest time with him. Uh, that was probably the hardest boss in the entire game for me. Um I, that was the only one that I had to use an astronaut doll, uh, which gives you like an extra life. Like basically it revives you. Like once you die, you come back. Uh, Ixion was the only one that I actually had to use it, even though I generally had an astronaut going into every boss. Um, super tough. And like it, the the way that he fights is just so different from everything else. Um, it was definitely put me up for a loop. But uh all overall, I was very happy with all the boss battles, and this is, you know, one through six, but especially the first three, super solid, um, and just really climatic, like, just stories, you know, like, it, they're just gigantic battles that were epic, so I, I really, really liked them. Right, yeah, and I guess I'm on a similar note for you where definitely I felt the bosses were the most fair thing of the game of, right, uh, they were always spawning in the same room, right? Same mm-hmm. room layout. Most of the time, the room itself wasn't trying to fight you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, you know, your standard typical boss arena. No kind of real quirks, except for the third boss, which I'll get to. Um, but as you mentioned, yeah. And not not to say that this is a brag, but, you know, because the bosses were fair, I also... Um, never died on any of the bosses so i beat every boss on my first try unlike you though i did use an astronaut figure for most of them but (laughs) obviously like even you know with the help of the astronaut i was able to beat these first tries the first encounter so it wasn't like i got to scope out what the boss mechanics were and i had to come back but right adapting on the fly 
Uh, and as you mentioned, right, with uh, the second boss, Ixion, yeah, definitely, I think once you start to see kind of the idea of the first phase, you kind of understand what he's going to do. And I think that's, it helps with his visual design, right? Because he has wings. So mm -hmm. there's this idea that's saying, okay, well, the boss has wings. There's going to be some sort of flying aspect. And there is, lo and behold, he kind of acts like a weird fighter jet. And he kind of zooms across mm -hmm. the battlefield and like sends out the attacks like in a ladder away from where he's zooming across. And I thought that was super interesting. Um, and that kind of tripped me up. But uh, the boss I had the most difficulty with, and I think it wasn't because of the boss itself, but it was the mechanics of the fight. And that was the third Biomes boss, the Derelict Citadel, in Nemesis. Okay. In that at one point, he breaks up the arena into a bunch of floating chunks mm -hmm. and you have to grapple yourself from chunk to chunk in order to like get close enough to actually shoot him and deal mm -hmm. damage to the boss. And that made me the most worried out of any of the fights, because even though, like you said, the controls were spot on and most of the time I didn't have problems. I felt like the grapple context was kind of not the greatest hmm. where I would be kind of looking the direction. And typically when you look in the direction of a grapple point, uh, Celine will have the prompt to right to zip over and to uh, get on right to the ledge that the grapple points at. But I felt like sometimes the game wasn't giving me the prompt, even though I was looking in the vicinity of the point. Mm -hmm. And so there are a couple times where obviously you fall during that fight and you take damage. It doesn't kill you immediately, but you do take damage and you kind of reset onto the platform. Um, and that was annoying, but I was mm -hmm. still able to beat the fight in the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even though the mechanics weren't hundred percent the greatest, I still love the fight. I mean, the visuals of the arena breaking it were great. And then having to have this kind of small platforming challenge uh, mm -hmm. while dealing damage to the boss was pretty neat. Um, and yeah, I think it was definitely a very strong, I guess, capstone to what a lot of people think might be the end of the game. Yeah. And I know we kind of, uh, haven't talked about the storyline, just been talking about the mechanics, but I guess I, I want to transition to that kind of for this first act of where, right. We're culminating in this fight with Nemesis, mm -hmm. um, who's at the top of the Derelict Citadel. But, and this is something that I think we'll revisit when we talk about the second uh, act, but I think it's interesting where, you know, we come to this uh, planet, we crash land on this planet, right, as Selene. Mm -hmm. And funny, I don't know if you know this, but did you know her last name is Vassos? No. Not yeah, either. so this is something that I don't think comes up a lot. Like, you never hear it. The, no, mm -hmm. Like, Selene never says it. No, There's no dialogue about it. But if you read some of the logs in the uh, Helios data entries... It shows uh, communications between her and some of her um, co-pilots like that are part of the program that she's a part of. And mm -hmm. specifically in there, it doesn't tell you their last names, but it tells you, I think it's Emily, and I forget who her other co-pilot is. But in, that, uh, in those logs, you actually find out her last name is Vassos. What does it mean? For the most part, nothing. But I just find it interesting <laughs> that with all the marketing and when they, you're playing the game, right, you only hear the name Celine. Uh, and so it's just kind of, obviously she has a last name, but it's just that kind of like extra added storytelling. But, right. I thought so you were about you, to like drop some sort of truth bomb with me. Like, well, in Greek mythology, Vassos, me, you know. <laughs> so, and I think this will come up uh, because the, some people might recognize the names from the game and that it does have a lot of connection to what I guess the bigger picture might mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't done a lot of personal background looking about every facet of it. So I don't know if you have any deep uh, lore nuggets you want to drop later on. Yeah, like I when I looked up Ixion after I had beaten the boss, um, the first thing actually came up was it's like a part of Greek mythology. And then I started looking and a lot of this game comes from Greek mythology. But basically right. Ixion is this in this ball and held up on like I I don't even know, like chains. Chains. Yeah, so he doesn't even touch the ground. And that's exactly so um he Basically, I think he seduced Hera or something and, like, you know, defiled Zeus, right? And so his punishment was that he could never touch the ground ever again. And so his entire boss fight, he's flying around. And, he like, even when he's sitting 
in the boss arena before you get there, he's suspended on chains. And so, like, parts like that, it's like, that's cool. Like, I, who knew, like, someone in that design department completely knows what they're doing with these sorts of things. And I'm sure if we really, t like, did a super deep dive into this, like, we'd probably find Greek mythology everywhere. Right. Um, so, yeah, starting back from the beginning, crash land on the planet Atropos, obviously from Greek mythology, and uh, you crash land in your ship, right, playing as Selene, your ship named the Helios, and something that, man, and this kind of gets into uh, the later acts, but I feel like it's important. Mm. Or, okay, I'll save it for when we talk about the, the right. later acts. Right, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, we crash land, and essentially Celine was coming to the plane in the first place because she gets this uh, notice saying, uh, a distress signal saying the White Shadow. And something that, uh, concern Celine is that the white shadow is something that is from her past life and that she doesn't think is something that should exist anywhere else in the world. And so the fact that this signal that's called the white shadow is being broadcasted from this planet makes no sense to her, which is why she wants to investigate the planet in the first place. And so in trying to investigate the signal, she crash lands and essentially becomes this combination of wanting to locate the white signal or the white shadow signal, uh -huh. but also trying to survive to escape the planet. And I think this, right, you're going through these biomes and all this is in regards to trying to find the white shadow and you end up, you know, you go through the overgrown ruins, you go through the crimson wastes where you discover the remnants of what is presumably the uh, survivors of the civilization that used mm -hmm. to live on this planet, which I don't think we ever learned the name of the race but we learn the remains of the enemies that you end up fighting from the race are called the severed. So basically the uh, beings of the race that have kind of gone rogue from the rest of the civilization, right? Allah being severed from that kind of uh, civilization. And you reach the der derelict citadel where when you reach the top of the citadel and you defeat the final boss, you then are, I guess, high enough in the sky to be able to broadcast the emergency signal out for your uh, space company to help send a rescue pod to retrieve you. And all this kind of ends up being where you are then brought back to earth and then you live out the rest of your uh, Celine's life on earth, which I think they mentioned is 63 years. Mm -hmm. And I think Celine is around 30 or something when she lands on the planet. So she lives out a long, healthy 90 year life or you know, presumably healthy and when she, the kind of the ending cutscene of Act Three is that you know you kind of see she sees herself being lowered into the grave, Act One, or Act One, excuse me. And after she gets lowered into the grave and the screen goes black, she wakes up again on Atropos. And mm -hmm. so there's this idea that even when she has escaped, because every other time you've done Atropos, you wake up right back next to the Helios, mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, you have to run the cycle again, right? As this being a roguelite type game. And the fact that at the end of act one, even though she makes it off the planet, she ends up returning to the planet once again, albeit in a slightly different fashion due to it looking different, but she has not escaped Atropos. Yeah. And so there's this kind of, I guess, symbolism of saying that her being on this planet is her destiny, or at least mm -hmm. that's what it seems to be to say, even when you've escaped and lived out your life and died, every time she's died, even back on Earth, she's come back to Atropos. And so this raise right, to kind of clue you in on the title of the game, Returnal, of like returning eternally right back to this planet. And so I want to know what your thoughts were on kind of this, I guess, revelation, right, of reaching what you think could be the end of the game mm -hmm. and then have her just wake back up on the planet. Yeah, at that point, at this point of playing the game, this was like a, a 9, 5, 10 in my book. Like, honestly, if we're, you know, splitting this up, Act 1 to me was as perfect as it could be. I, I, I was blown away in the end of it with this cutscene that you're talking about. This, oh my gosh, we, we made it? Like, okay, they're saving me. You see this cutscene of her going back home. She's celebrated. Um... 
you know, right before that, we haven't talked about the house. There's a house that appears within underground or overgrown ruins. I actually, it took me a, f- a few times to get through uh, the derelict citadel. And um, so I had, I had gone to the house a few times and there was actually a picture and she said, wait, this, this is in the, taken in the future. And I didn't really understand, but in that cutscene, you see them taking that picture that's in that house that you saw, you know, five hours ago in your playtime. And that re- revelation was almost like an inception moment. And it's like, whoa, this is, this is way different than what I thought this game was going to be about. And that this was only like the intermission for this game it was crazy to me so it was the perfect start to to act to um it really resonated with me this was something that um this is before you were playing returnal and i didn't want to spoil it for you because you hadn't you hadn't started yet but i went to work and i told tiffany because there's zero percent chance that tiffany is ever going to play this game like that's why she's not on the peer review today but we were sitting in her office and i was telling her about this story because to me it was like the biggest thing that's ever happened, you know, it was, it was, it, it definitely resonated with me. Right. Yeah. And I, going back to the house stuff, which I would be remiss if I, we didn't talk about a little bit more that, uh, somehow, you know, even though you're on this alien planet, right. Crash landed distress signal, white shadow, you find Celine's old home, like from mm-hmm. earth on this alien planet. And as you mentioned, she, it's, almost exactly the same, right? Like it contains items that she's had from her past actually in her house, in that house. And also, as you mentioned, items from what she thought was before the time that she lived in the house. Mm-hmm. And so, as you mentioned, yeah, it's is weird kind of double moment of saying, how can something from the future that didn't exist when she did live in the house exist in that house when she's visiting then? Mm-hmm. And there is this kind of, mysterious combination of when you're going through the house she is reliving a lot of i guess moments of the past that's kind of what the house sequences do in the game and also you come across a uh i guess shady astronaut so your typical looking astronaut type suit character that exists but doesn't have any lines doesn't really say anything moves occasionally but really is just there scary yeah like so frightening yeah, it adds this weird kind of, what are you? Like, I know you're an astronaut, but why are you here? Are you connected to the White Shadow? Like, what is your purpose of existing kind of in this perception of the house? And I guess it all kind of ties back into what is Celine actually experiencing um, with the fact that she is returning eternally in this cycle. And right, even the tagline for the game that I didn't mention in the beginning was break the cycle that was part of the advertising so it's this idea of oh is this something that you can help Celine escape out of and you think you do by the end of act one but then yeah as you face to black and as you know you apparently see the burial of Celine herself mm-hmm. she then wakes up again so you haven't broken the cycle hmm. and yeah. so yeah and I guess that kind of I don't know if you have any more thoughts on act one you want to bring up okay so Moving into Act 2, we kind of have, I guess, the second half of the game, for the most part, even though it's a three-act structure. And these consist of the uh, Echoing Ruin biome, Echoing Ruins, excuse me, the Fractured Waste, and the Abyssal Scar. And, you know, again, I'm not, from a personal standpoint, you know, I want to talk about the gameplay first. I wasn't the biggest fan of kind of the Echoing Ruins comeback. I know... From a story perspective, it makes sense, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of felt like they were, even though the layout is different, the visuals are different, reusing the overgrown ruins. And I know that's part of the point of the story, but I didn't like how the biome kind of repeated. It just felt a little bit more old or aged, right? Mm-hmm. Hence the name. Um, but I did like how, and I guess this goes uh, for all the biomes, every biome had a different kind of design logic with how the biome presented itself to you so you know as we mentioned kind of biomes one and two were kind of these you know procedurally generate combination of rooms where you're going through a jungle but then the crimson waste is where the game like kind of opened up and at least in the beginning with the desert section of the crimson waste you kind of had this like open world fear of like 
oh, I can actually see a lot more in this biome of where I'm going to rather than everything kind of being locked behind doors until you get to the mountain and then you ascend to the top of the mountain. And then for um, the derelict citadel, right, obviously you're kind of in this mechanized ancient city ruin and it definitely has a different feel. Um, and then at the same time, you know, when you get to Biome 5 and the Fractured Wastes, it's also super interesting where it's more of kind of a, I think the term is like hub uh, and spokes essentially type of design where you kind of always return to the center location and mm-hmm. then you're branching out from the center location to these other areas. So I guess something akin to, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess I want to say Breath of the Wild in a way because, right, everything revolves around Ganon's castle in the middle. Yeah. It's just kind of like things branching <laughs> off in different directions from there. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought there's that. And then the Abyssal Scar being this underwater location and that also kind of mimicking the Crimson Waste a little bit where things felt a little bit more open. Like you could see into the distance of where you're going to go. And uh, I just really appreciated how every biome, at least up to this point, gave you these uh, different feelings, right? Because I think for me, when I go into roguelike type games and obviously, you know, have to bring up Hades, Love um, Hades. Something, something that I think Hades, even though I've only done one full clear of that it suffers from is that really once you've done, you know, your first few runs and especially once you've played enough to get your first clear where you reach the surface in that game, I, I don't know if it changes, but it doesn't seem like it distinctly changes after that. And so no, I think, no, it doesn't. right. And so I think that's something that at least Returnal kind of overcomes a little bit with at least each zone having these kind of different design philosophies. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't mind Biome 4 being the same as Biome 1, basically. Um, because one, I, I feel like 63 years have, have happened since Atropos was at the very first biome to the third biome. Like, time has gone on, right? Actually, that's a question. Is that what it's supposed to be? Like, are I, those 63 years reflected? I think so. I, I Okay. I never got that from the story. Because a lot of, like, the enemies that you face in the, in the derelict city are, like, these turrets and, like, very mechanized. And, you know, even in Biome 1, there is a bridge to get straight to Biome 3 as a shortcut. It's kind of, a, like, a way that mechs are finding their way into, like, this more rural where in Biome 1 there's all these flying creatures and everything looks living. Like, nothing is mechanical. And then going back in Biome 4... Now you start seeing a lot of those mechs as they've kind of moved on over time. You know, 63 years have passed and they've kind of like moved into the more natural habitat of the I ruins. guess you're right. Yeah, the rocket drones and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Ne- I never realized that, but I guess that does make sense story-wise. So for me, it like it added to what Atropos is outside of Selene. Um, and so, you know, I think with it all being capstone to what I thought was the best boss across everything was Hyperion in Biome 4. Um, this is what I was kind of referring to when you, when if you go back and listen to our music podcast, where we talked about music in video games. I talked about a certain part in Returnal that I didn't want to spoil because it was literally, you know, a week into the game being released. Hyperion... You come up to him and he's playing an organ and the music in that fight, listening with 3D audio, is literally second to none. I I can't think of another fight in playing video games since I was a kid that I've ever heard like a better soundtrack while you're fighting. And so like that to me was was really cool about Biome 4. Like you get closer and closer to the boss the music started getting louder and louder. And so to me, there was a lot of atmospheric things. I think Biome 5 can go like die in a dumpster fire somewhere because I hated Biome 5 so much. Uh, It was ridiculously paced and just the structure. And I feel like you always got ambushed. And when you got ambushed, you got ambushed by a lot. And I I feel like majority of my deaths um, in my run happened in biome 5 because i just really struggled with those enemies um because as like hopefully you're looking at some screenshots or maybe you know about returnal it's a bullet hell there are 
blues and reds and yellows and greens and everything can hit you and everything can hurt you. Purples especially can hurt you because you can't dash through them. And that's like one of your biggest defense mechanisms. And I feel like biome five, you really started to get a lot of enemies that use purple and it really just tore me up because I use dash all the time. Um, but going into biome six, let me tell you, I was not expecting biome six. And this is what I didn't want to spoil for you because I thought that that was a really cool mix up. Like it, you, you're used to normal gravity biomes one through five and now you're kind of like more floaty and i know that's like a dirty word in gaming like people don't like controls to be floaty but it makes sense you're underwater and i thought it was just a really cool way to capstone the game uh honestly i think i like the diversity of biomes one through three um but i i, I think the diversity was even stronger in four through six even if biome five i, I still have a very very sour spot on my heart for it <laughs> And I think, is it because it's also an ice level? Like, I hate it's, it's ice. like the quintessential, I hate like, it. what game has a good ice level? Nobody. And Bomb 5 is a nice level. So I think that it checks out. The math checks out. The, the meme <laughs> continues. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I really loved the Bustle Scar Biome 6 with, the, with it being underwater and the floatiness. Because as you mentioned, it kind of changed the dynamic of the game where now, you know, fighting the enemies, even fighting the boss at the end of uh, uh, Biome 6, the Abyssal Scar, Ophian, that getting used to, right, you get used to the low gravity situation during the whole biome, and then you get to that final boss, and you're like, okay, what's going to happen Like w with having to find this low gravity? And as you mentioned, right, that boss uses a lot of, like, purple attacks, so things you can't dodge through, and so... But with the help of the low gravity, right, you can't jump over them. So that oh, yeah. is kind of mm -hmm. that extra layer of adding to, hey, obviously you've had to jump a lot in this game, but here's a combination of the environment helping you jump and also attacks that you have to jump over. And so I think they did a pretty good job, um, even though the boss fight itself, right, not too spectacular. I mean, as a final boss, it's interesting to look at, but the mechanics were kind of boring for me of um, the boss... Uh, would spawn these kind of light balls around it. And if you shot the light balls, it would explode in a flash of light, revealing eyes on the boss mm -hmm. itself that were its weak points. So you'd have to shoot the eyeballs in order to actually damage the boss. Yeah. And I wasn't too keen on this thing. Like, obviously, since I mentioned before, I had a, I beat every boss or I managed to beat every boss on my first try. I picked up on it, but it was kind of not necessarily intuitive for me, but more so... I saw something floating there. And so obviously in a bullet hell type game, my instinct is to shoot it. And mm -hmm. so it didn't feel like they designed in such a way where you were really discovering it. And it more so was just like, Oh, this is what you did all game. So you're just going to continue to do it for this boss fight. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I mean, I did like the visuals I did right. As it is underwater, there is kind of a lot of, ideas behind seeing things underwater and the fact that there's this weird large tentacled creature that somehow changes shapes by flipping over and by the final fight you um are facing what looks to be the astronaut from the house sequences yeah it definitely is this weird kind of juxtaposition of hey this is this astronaut that's been watching you every single time you visit the house in biomes one and four and now it's the thing that you're fighting in the final phase of the final fight and you overcome it. But then it's like, what, what does it mean? And I guess that, you know, bringing up the, the house stuff in biome two or in act two, it really helps drive home more. So what's happening. And what I thought was very strange was right. The first house sequence you get in act two is that it takes the game and literally put, makes the game, the game in the world and then yeah. you shift perspective to another character as if you're playing Returnal yeah. like in that world. And I don't know what your initial reactions were, but I just saw like the small hands in the dual sense, and then I looked and saw the PS5 like standing up next to the TV, and I'm like, this is really cool in like a weird for fourth wall breaking type of way, even though the event, like the actual sequence, isn't fourth wall breaking. Mm -hmm. 
but also I thought it was just kind of pandering a little bit to be like, hey, you know, you're playing the game and now we're showing you playing the game in the game. Yeah. Like, isn't this neat? It was like very 1990s. Like, I feel like so many N64 games did that to where like you go into Banjo-Kazooie's house and he has an N64 like plugged up or something. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, that's just like the thing to do. Um, and I, I would be lying to say that I knew exactly what was going on in most of those house sequence <laughs> because they're kind of trippy in a way. Um, but yeah, that one included when you're like now a child. Is that the one that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. When you're the child holding the dual sense, you got little baby hands <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're roaming around the house. So now in these sequences, kind of in the first act, you're playing as Celine every time you enter the house. But now in the second act, you're for the most part playing as this child who's not Celine hmm. um, in the house. And what's interesting is, and I don't know if you noticed it, but in the first sequence, they also key, clue you in on that the child you're playing as is named Helios. Mm-hmm. And so I'll save what that might mean later on um, and from what I've heard, but what I guess does make sense, albeit with everything being in the context of Greek mythology. Um, But it does kind of add an extra level of saying, oh, what's actually going on in this world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the game's attempt at trying to tell you what's happening. And I guess, yeah, just to reach the end of Act 2 and to wrap it up so then we move on to Act 3 and I guess talk about what the story means as a greater whole and kind of our larger takeaways is that at after you beat the final boss, Ophian in act two, you end up meeting what is supposedly the source of the white shadow signal. And it's something that, that Celine has been looking for this entire time, right at the bottom of this abyssal scar. And it is a, what looks to be a kind of a Cthulian, yeah, Monst- tentacle monster that mm-hmm. looks like something also out of like one of those um, machines from the Matrix. Yeah, weird kind of like beholder looking. Oh stuff. yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't talk, and it's huge compared to Celine, and it's just Celine looking at this machine, being like, "You're the cause of all this, right? Like you're the one broadcasting the signal. You're the reason why I'm down here." And then it just kind of like cuts, right? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if anything else happens, but it just cuts the black in the credits roll. And so you realize, oh, Selena's kind of found this, right? And then after the credits roll, you see another cut scene where you're back on Earth and you're driving a car and it's Selene driving the car, you know, during nighttime. And you have the child who's the child you played as in this, in the act two sequences in the back seat. And you're um, drive, you're approaching a bridge, and the child asks Celine, and we we presume at this point that the child is Celine's son, mm-hmm. um, and the child asks Celine, "Do you see the white shadow?" And at that moment, briefly afterwards, Celine ends up seeing something in the road, and she mm-hmm. ends up swerving off of her bridge at the moment that she has to dodge this thing that's in the road, and the car crashes into a lake or river you know, body of water and sinks to the bottom. And that's kind of, I guess, the ending of act two. And it's this idea of linking, do you see the white shadow, which is the signal that Celine has been seeing this whole time to the child mm-hmm. who is presumably the offspring of Celine. And it is, and I guess this wraps all back into and in saying, and I'm not sure. And obviously I think both of us have seen and looked up things right beyond our own personal experiences. So mm-hmm. not all of these ideas are our own, but you know, I just want to iterate, like what was your perspective? I guess even like knowing everything that you do know, right. After p- looking it up, what, like what is the relationship between Celine Helios, who's preservably your son and kind of the bigger picture happening? Yeah. So I kind of took this cause then once you're in that water, you're taken away from the child. And so in my mind, I took this as Celine is dead. And like, this is kind of like, she's reliving to like pay for her guilt. And that's like what this was like, what I was thinking was all what this boiled down to. Because when you are first starting up biome four, biome four or biome one, um, as soon as you leave where the, spaceship which the spaceship is called helios when you leave the spaceship it says helios abandoned and like 
I've always thought, oh, okay, the ship. Like, we've abandoned the ship. That that makes sense. But after seeing this cutscene and seeing her get stripped away from her son, because presumably she made a mistake. Um, we found in, like, a scout log later on, right before the final boss, that she shouldn't be driving. She has some sort of medical condition where she shouldn't be driving. So I don't know what the circumstance with that is. But for whatever reason, she is now, I feel like, separated from Helios, and I think it's because of her own doing. And so I feel like this is a lot of grief. Um, and then one other like excerpt that I saw was um, when she was in the house, there was a letter from um, Astra, which yeah. is the NASA, that basically said, yeah, you're not, you're not accepted. We have not accepted you as a as an astronaut. So I feel like she has overwhelming guilt just in her life from not getting maybe her dream job and then also kind of dying and abandoning her son. So I feel like that's that's where my mind went and that's where my mind kind of has stayed. Oh, okay. I actually have a different uh, perspective. Ooh, nice. So I'm on the flip side where uh, her, when she crashes... Right, and the idea behind, right, as you mentioned, it always saying Helios abandoned when you leave the first room in uh-huh. volumes one and four. I took it as that the son died mm. and Celine is left basically paralyzed or otherwise disabled because we see scenes of the wheelchair and I guess mm-hmm. this links to act three, yeah. but there are signs of the wheelchair and I presume that she's wheelchair bound and part of of the reason she gets denied all of as presented via the Astra letter was because she was disabled. Interesting. And so it's the combination of her surviving the crash, but obviously being disabled now and not being able to live her dream of being an astronaut. And on top of the guilt of having her son died or dying in this accident. And thus therefore, right. Every time she's trying to chase her dream of Mm -hmm. becoming this astronaut, She's had to leave her son behind, and in the ultimate sacrifice, she's inadvertently caused his death of her blindly chasing her dream. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I I think the cool part about it is that, you know, they're not putting out any explanations. There's never going to... Housemark, I don't think, will ever say what any of this means. I think it's just going to be up to people's interpretation. And I think that's the blessing, the curse, because part of why lean that her son's dead, right, is because, right, since the ship is Helios and it gets shot down, yeah, that that is my inclination of because uh, she's the one that shot Celine, it down. Yeah, Celine is walking away. That it's her son not being able to move on or continue, and it's her abandoning it. And also, as you mentioned, we learn in Act Three that specifically she's the one that shoots it down herself yeah like she's the one that fires a cannon that brings the ship down and so that's why i lean it's more so celine surviving Helios not surviving interesting but as you yeah. mentioned the fact that housemark the developers of the game probably will never explicitly tell us what's going on with the story i think helps it but also doesn't because for me you know i appreciate good stories and i like the mystery of it but also, I would also very appreciate if they had a more definitive ending or at least reasoning as to what's happening. Because if, you know, not to say I want them to make a sequel to follow this up, but if they never kind of provide closure for me, I think that's part of my issue with it to say, I like the idea to be a theor- to theorize all these possible interpretations, but also I would like there to be some at least enough evidence in the game to say this is definitively kind of what's happening, even though we're not going to solve all your questions and mm-hmm. at least tell you, Oh, as we, since right, you took away, it's Celine dying and her son surviving. And I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like, I think they're both valid yeah. takeaways. In in fairness, I know that there's going to be YouTubers that are going to replay this game and capture everything and then have everything out and like present like an hour to YouTube video and I'll probably watch it. And like they might have enough breadcrumbs in everything when you look at all of the scout logs and then all of just like the text on all of the items. Like I'm sure there's so many different clues that they left us. So maybe it's more definitive than we think, but 
it's pretty like I, I look to see and there's really not that many theories going around because there's not as many people that have beaten it to this point. Right. Yeah. I guess to follow up, you know, we were talking about act three and I guess to resolve some loose ends. So act three, you're tasked with kind of retreading your old stompy grants through the biomes one through three and four through six. And you end up piecing together the sun face fragments which are pieces of a art piece that was mm-hmm. hanging in Celine's home. And after you've collected all these Sunface fragments, you then take it back to the home and you kind of visit. And I guess this is closure for Celine herself. You visit the home and she tells herself, this is the last time I'm coming here. And that's part of the realization of when you're saying, oh, Celine is obviously imagining her house here. And it's not like her house is physically on this alien planet. Mm-hmm. And she kind of comes to this acceptance and somehow she walks away with a car key with a astronaut figure attached to it. Mm-hmm. You then take the car key. You then have to refight the final boss again. And as you're approaching where you would potentially meet the white shadow and the tentacle monster that brought you to this plane in the first place, you find a car, which was apparently the same car that you were driving on the day that you crashed and swerved off the road into a lake and she enters the car and I forget exactly what's in the car, but apparently there's another kind of like tentacled creature that's mm. in the car when she opens it or unlocks it now. Was it the stuffed animal or was it an actual? Creature? Oh, it could, it could have been the stuffed animal, but yeah, essentially she opens the car and I guess gets in or like peers inside and it cuts to another cutscene where it shows uh, Celine in the astronaut outfit that's standing in the road at the moment that she herself is already driving the car off the bridge, off the road into the water and it pans and we get kind of more details about the exact, uh, what happens underwater where she, you know, gets knocked unconscious. Her son's unconscious. She comes to, as you mentioned, she's kind of, um, she tries to free herself from her seatbelt and reach out for her son, but she can't. And then she gets pulled out of the car, but then is able to swim towards the surface. Mm -hmm. And it kind of ends with this bright light and her gasping for air. And so I want, I want your takes on what this ending is because that's where the game ends again. Then this Mm -hmm. is the true ending. Yeah. So we realize in a way Celine is causing herself right to, to drive off the road and all the events have happened have been on her. But my interpretation of the fact that there's a gasp of breath is that it's the same gasp of breath she takes every time she respawns back at the Helios upon each cycle. Yeah. So, like, the interpretation, at least for me, and I think you agree, it sounds like, that even though we've gone through this true ending and, right, she's apparently breaking free to the surface, she's still stuck in this cycle. Yeah. Regardless of what's happened. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think in looking at it, kind of my bigger takeaway is that she is, as the title suggests, eternally stuck in this return to the ship and to live out this cycle of fighting through these biomes, reaching the planet, escaping, dying, coming back, Mm -hmm. reaching this scar, doing whatever, coming back. And that it's something that, as you mentioned briefly, it's... I guess a reflection of her grief or at least her self torment of her living these events on the planet is the fact that she can't escape whatever has happened to her and that she has to, even when she has accepted the fate of her son of herself, she can't escape it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why she's ever stuck in this cycle. Yeah. I don't know if I cared for that ending. I don't know if it really stuck the landing for me. Up until this point, it was definitely pretty flawless in my mind. Um, Act 3, I feel like it kind of stumbled a little bit with the secret ending. And this is all extra. Like, you don't have to get the secret ending to beat the game. Like, you can roll the credits with just Act 2, which is fine. Um, But Act 3, you know, just being the completionist that we are... um, I don't know if I really cared for it because I don't think it satisfied what the story was up until that point. Like, there was so much mystery about it, but mystery is only 
as effective as like that aha moment when you get it, when you get it in your mind. And to me, there's so many inter- interpretations, which is nice, but when it's, I, I don't get how you could be in the car and on the road at the same time on earth, you know, like, was that a dream sequence too? Like, was this whole thing a dr- like, to me, Hades was my game of the year in 2020 easily like very it's the last 10 out of 10 that i've played and a reason i really liked it was because it was the first roguelite that i've played that has a definitive end there is a moment where i put down the controller and never played it again because i didn't need to it stopped there's no other story progression here there there is no more story progression but i feel like I should still be playing to figure out the true ending. Like the true ending didn't explain anything to me. Um, to that effect, like I, you know, act one and act two were so strong. Act three kind of sputtered. And I'm still like, I'm saying all this and not to be negative, but like I still would give this probably a nine out of 10 if I like had a 10 point scale, like that would be where it is for me. Um, it's a great game, but I, I don't know if I like, I like true endings, secret endings where you have to put in more effort to be more rewarding. Keep it, keep it vague after act two. That's completely fine, but there has to be some sort of clarity when you put in so much more effort for act three. hundred percent agree. And I think it didn't help that it was again, just retreading the biomes we've already been through. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that, part of the exploration is it has those Metroid like elements where we got new uh, permanent equipment items as part of the roguelite progression. And so some of those uh, collectibles were now accessible. So I think that was neat, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, it seems like the, the true ending, the payoff didn't meet the burden of getting there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so definitely it, um, also I would have appreciated if the final boss changed maybe after (laughs) like going for the true ending, like, if you've gotten all the sun face fragments, got the car keys and you were looking to get the true ending that maybe the final boss was slightly different. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a cool surprise to be like, Oh, I thought I just had to fight you again. But now it's like, here's the true confrontation that like all of this has been building. towards. Like that creature that you saw that you blacked out, like fight that creature. Like what is right. that creature? There's so many unanswered things in this game. That's eh just leaves me a little bit empty yeah and and i guess our both of our takeaways is that if you're if you like this type of storytelling then this is the game for you uh definitely you can have a lot to chew on but whatever conclusion you come to unless house mark themselves kind of comes out and tells us your conclusion is probably just as right as everyone else's in terms of what you take away from the story and what's kind of what mattered to you the most and what you think is actually happening to Celine in this crazy cycle of having to fight these weird derelict robots and mm-hmm. um, these tentacled creatures. But yeah, I, I, I mean, some final takeaways before I have some, I guess, rapid fire questions for you. Uh, I really liked the juxtaposition of kind of biomes one through three and four through six. Because, right, as we mentioned with one through three, we kind of are in this escalating uh, in height, like physically, but also like metaphorical kind of journey of we're going through the jungle and then we ascend this mountain crag and then we're going even higher up into this like machine like city. And then that's when we think we escape. And then on the flip side, when we are in biomes four through six, right, we go through the jungle again, but it's old. As you mentioned, machines are more infesting of that nature. We transition to this kind of frozen over city. So it kind of feels like the derelict citadel, but it's like turned to ice and everything is like broken down. And then you dive down into the abyssal scar as the name suggests. And it's this right um, descent into kind of, I guess, her digging deep inside of herself as Celine, and then also just saying, oh, I can't escape this, right? Like, she just has to keep diving deeper to kind of understand what's, or thinking she's trying to understand what is happening to her, but in the end, right, we when we just never get the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just as lost as her, but uh, definitely, overall, fun game. Yeah. could Could be a little bit better with some more answers, but, and maybe Hearthmark will update the game, right? Yeah. Like we're still 
only barely over a month since the game came out. So for those of you out there, hopefully uh, they've maybe provided some updates and maybe there's even DLC that could provide more answers. I would love that. I would love that. Like add in a, another biome or something. I would totally be down for more answers. And honestly, the gameplay loop of it is fun. It is a fun game to play. Very reactive. The gunplay, we haven't talked anything about that. Like, it was good. It was fun. Um, We don't have to talk about it. It's just, you know, something, if you're wondering, it is a fun third-person shooter. So if you're into that sort of thing, it's totally the game for you. All right. So here's some rapid-fire questions. Well, okay, before I get to rapid-fire questions, trophy list. As we mentioned, yeah. we both got the platinum. Yep. Uh, brief thoughts, feelings on the trophy list. I liked it. Um, I think that there's six very hard trophies that are all to get the survey, which is to do everything, collect everything in all the biomes. The RNG, the random number generator, it just killed me. Like you got a scout log very early on in your playthrough, and I spent over three and a half hours yesterday just for that one scout log so like it it takes time but it was very satisfying to get i i thought that the trophy list was overall fair but man those survey trophies they just are a grind yeah 100% agree with you the survey trophies because the collectibles are in specific rooms i think that's fair but then also as you mentioned because the room layouts are procedurally generated each run you play the game you could maybe not see room for as you mentioned three and a half hours and so Mm -hmm. i think that definitely kind of uh, deflates the sales a little bit because you have no control over it um and i think it's weird because this is definitely a roguelite where it seems like the trophy list was also more designed like you play this game over the course of many months. Mm-hmm. And so it's something where it's like, right, you're doing runs like maybe a couple times a week, maybe a couple times a day. And so the RNG might not be as bad if you're playing like that. But obviously with the, those people out there, like uh, myself and Matt here, who are very gung-ho about saying, oh man, I really like the game. I want to get all the trophies, do all the achievements for it. It makes it feel a lot worse when it is out of your hands and you just mm-hmm. have to keep, grinding over and over and so you end up playing for three hours yeah. just trying to find one room for that one collectible you don't have so i think um that definitely is weird where to me the game feels like they want you to play over a longer period of time but like for us right that's that's not how we're going to end up playing the game so it just amplifies the the uh frustration yeah we got ratchet to play in like a week we can't be playing returnal anymore <laughs> um all right, rapid fire question time just to get quick thoughts out there. Favorite weapon? The carbine with leech rounds. Wow. Mine's uh, the hollow seeker with a portal beam. Ooh, good, good choice. Loved it. Yeah, what good a good choice. choice. Um, favorite bio? Uh, abyssal scar. Wow, same here. Yeah. I just, just is so it the cool. low is it the low gravity? I love it because of the underwater low gravity. Yeah, it's I think it's great. the low gravity. Yeah, so cool. Yep, yep. Uh, favorite boss? Oh, Hyperion, easy. The organ. Right. Yeah, the organ. I actually like Ixian. Okay. Yeah. As you mentioned, like as the sim- the symbolism with the how literal it takes from Greek mythology, but mm-hmm. also the fight itself, I liked the fighter jet type of display he does with like zooming across the field and like yeah. shooting things off to the sides. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a good time. And I guess final question for this quick fire segment, favorite Celine. Favorite Celine. <laughs> what do you mean? Exactly. And with that, we are at the end of this peer review of Returnal, developed by Housemark, exclusive to the PS5. If you liked what you've heard here, you know, share the review, this peer review with the friend. <laughs> right <Wait>. now, <laughs> did we Matt even, is just staring at me, very even, confused. Did we even say if we recommended the experience Oh, wait, yeah. Excuse me, I didn't get to that part. Matt, do you <laughs> recommend this experience? Yes. Yes, I do. 
even if it's seventy dollars, if you're if you have a PS5 and you're just itching to use it for what it's meant to be used for, which is like a true PS5 experience, Returnal's the best thing out there. Just get it. Um, it'll probably go on sale too. As soon as it goes on sale, grab it. It's it's a ton of ton of fun. I think I played probably fifty hours, a little bit more than than uh, than Alex did because of the RNG, but it was a ton of fun. Great ride. And I too would recommend Returnal as an experience you should get. Uh, definitely, people talk about the difficulty, and I don't think it's something to worry about too much. If anything, I would say if you want to prime yourself before you pick up Returnal. Play a lot of third-person shooters. Get yourself into that kind of character positioning mindset. And I think you can carry those sensibilities and mechanics into what Returnal is as a you know bullet hell third-person shooter. <laughs> and so now with that <laughs> recommendation of this experience, we're at the end of this episode. If you have thoughts on the game or you have questions or any sort of concerns about what we talked about here, please write in to rxp.podcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at rxp underscore podcast and let us know. Otherwise, until next time, take care.